What's up, y'all? This is Vince Ellis with another edition of Preaching Pistons, Creep.com's podcast on your Detroit Pistons and the NBA. Things aren't going well for the Pistons on the floor with them down 0-2 in the best of seven series to the Cleveland Cavaliers. But playoff basketball returns to the Palace this weekend for the first time since 2009. And here to talk about it is Palace Sports and Entertainment CEO. Got the, I got the title right on first try. CEO Dennis Mannion. Thanks for joining us, Dennis. Right, glad to be here, Vince. But before we start talking playoff hoops, Dennis has several claims to fame from a varied work history that includes stops with the Baltimore Ravens, LA Dodgers, but a guy who's in the business of arenas, concerts, Today is marks the passing of one of the true musical legends, music icon, uh, whatever you want to call. Prince passed away today, and he is someone you got to ask a guy who's in the business of concerts and stuff about their impact on music, concerts in general. So, Dennis, your thoughts when you heard that um, Twitter or CNN or wherever you heard it from that he passed away at the age of fifty-seven? Yeah, you know it's interesting. It was as shocking as the news about Michael Jackson years ago. And the really odd part about it is Michael Jackson would have been 57 also. That's right. They were both born in uh, 1958. But to me, Prince has always been uh, mystical and a mystery in some ways to the music business in that he always innovates. And um, to, also to me, he's like Bill Walsh was to the 49ers and coaching the legendary performers that uh, tailed off of Prince were endless. And to think that a guy from, I guess, Minneapolis or Minnesota has uh, got that, that, that big, that strong, uh, is absolutely amazing. And he continued to impact the music industry. Um, I just looked at uh, Kevin Gregg just gave me a Powell Sports, Sports a Pistons spokesman. Uh, Kevin Gregg told me that he performed at the Palace three times in 2004. Those were his last performances here. Do you remember ever seeing him in concert in one of your well, I had previous to, venues? I hate to admit it, but uh, I, yes, I did, and only because he played 21 straight shows at the Forum in Los Angeles. <laughs> so my wife went to 20 of them and made me go to the 21st. Made you so, go? He was <laughs> You're not a Prince guy? I'm a Prince guy. I just didn't want to go with my wife and her friends. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, but talk about him in concert. Uh, I never got a chance to see him in concert, but... I remember, like, I was telling some people about it today. I remember to this day when I when news came to me, I started thinking back to when I was a kid and reading Jet Magazine and Controversy was coming up, the art, or their single little, little uh, rankings they had in the back of the Jet Magazine. And, and I started thinking about Controversy and some of the things that he came with his first early songs, you know, 1999, Little Red Corvette. Talk about, what was it like to see him in concert? It was just energizing. It's electric. And it's funny, we just had Bruce Springsteen here. And at uh, 66 years old, Bruce is still going strong. and played a 33-set, uh, three-and-a-half-hour show. But in different ways, Prince and Bruce command an audience. And uh, Definitely. the moment they walk on that stage... You can just feel their their energy, and there's no better way to put it. Just um, you light up, they light you up, and away they go with the music. Sure, sure, sure. Well, again, music loss, concert business loss is a major loss, and again, I'm quite sure we'll be 
over the next week or so, we'll be like um, hearing all sorts of memorials, hearing his music all over TV, and rightfully so because I know as soon as I get out of here, I'm probably going to might listen to Prince music on my way to drive back down 75 South. But on to the matter at hand, playoff basketball returns to the Palace this weekend. And I guess my first question, I'm going to get the basics out of the way. Do you expect to have a sellout crowd this weekend? Oh, Nick? absolutely. I mean, both nights will be sellouts. Um, very few tickets, if any, for Friday night's game. And still some tickets, about 1,000 tickets left for Sundays. But they'll, they'll rifle out. So um, from an energy standpoint, we're talking about Prince's energy. I think it's going to be like something we haven't seen here in, in seven years. Mm. You know, I would imagine a close proximity to Cleveland helps that uh, sell out, or do you think that would happen regardless? Well, it's interesting. Before we got the draw, so we had um, an opportunity. We could have finished seventh. We could have finished eighth. We could have played Toronto. We could have played Cleveland. Uh, I remember seeing the numbers almost out of the gate up at 14,000 tickets sold. So that was awesome, just to start at almost 14,000 without knowing your opponent. And then you knew you had to sell out once one of those two opponents were listed. Sure, sure. It helps, but I would say it's a dominant, dominant Detroit crowd. i got to ask, since we're in the news, um, you know, the the, the Cavs are up 2-0. But, you know, as I wrote today, there's this element of spice to it with, um, you know, know, Stanley Johnson has made comments. He hasn't backed, verbally hasn't backed down from LeBron James. Marcus Morris, the comments they're making. This, the whole team has a kind of, they kind of play into this market and uh, a market that fell in love with the bad boys, and this stuff really plays well to the Detroit Pistons fan. Do you like seeing stuff like that as oh a, in the salesman in you? Are you kidding me? The marketer in me, uh, I couldn't be more thrilled. You know, we had kind of an, an organic Raiders of the East back when I was with the Ravens, and uh, I feel that times 10 here in this market. Mm-hmm. One, because the fans are so learned. Two, it's been a while since the Pistons have been in it. And three, uh, starting with Stan, uh, thanks to Tom Gorse and the wisdom to bring a guy like that into a town like this because he fits so perfectly, I think uh, he has built himself a team that uh, works from a chemistry standpoint around his coaching skills. Sure. And so this is a Detroit team, and it was fun, a lot of fun, to watch them not back down to, admittedly, one of the best teams in basketball. Sure, sure. And speaking of Stan... And I guess I'm going to back up a little bit. And like, he has a way of saying things that go viral. And like, I remember even the build. The I can't say that right. because they get mad when I uh, when there's f words or, or uh, curse words on these things. Or at least I I got to warn them that there's <laughs> cursing on these things. So we're going to avoid that uh, so this won't problem. Be on, on Showtime. No, 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 no. Nothing like that because I guess Freep.com was still trying to have a family website. But when he said those words. Build a bleeping, bleeping wall. But did you, how do you? How does that play out to you guys? How do you see? How does the reaction? How do you measure that reaction when something like that happens? Well, I think most importantly, um, it wasn't so much the words as the passion that was coming out of him and the emotion around. Um, he sensed our opportunity to win, and he was seizing that moment. It was captured, you know, on live broadcast, which was amazing. I think the same thing happened in our first game where the passion around being the best you can be no matter what the circumstances are. And those are things that play perfectly to this market. So for me, um, watching guys like Stanley and Reggie and Marcus and Andre all just and Tobias um, as a starting five has just been thrilling 
to see them come together as a unit? Sure, sure. Well, let's look ahead a little bit. We talked at length uh, about, we've talked at during times about the tenure, about how having a good product obviously helps attendance. It just it just spreads out. It's like almost like uh, the old season, uh, a rising tide raises all boats and all, something yep. like that. So having a good product helps you all, all across the board. Have you started to see an uptick as far as like when it comes to renewals or even new customers and stuff from like making the playoffs? Successful season appear to be on the right track. With on this the is this is such Vince an amazing sports market that for starters, I would tell you, uh, even last year when our fans started to see glimpses of the future through Reggie and uh, and Andre in particular, um, we saw a ninety three percent renewal in season tickets, which was pretty remarkable. Well, I guess give me an example like what were renewals like previously as far as like percentage wise. Renewals uh, for me. And my, my short tenure here had a low watermark of 65%. Okay. So it worked its way up to, uh, I think, fifth best, best in the NBA. Maybe third best in the NBA in renewals. And uh, group sales made it all the way up to fifth best in the NBA. So you could see the market responding to the effort that was on the court and the talent that was on the court. And then, you know, lo and behold, they played very well this year to a 44-win season. And uh, we watched attendance go up 22%. So I think, um, as you say, winning is, is key. Effort is just as massive. Sure, sure, sure. And I know you, like I said, you have worked in various markets. You know, I, I met, we mentioned Baltimore and L.A., but also Denver. Did I miss somebody? I think Philly. Philly. That's right, correct. Philadelphia. I remember it almost at the same time, Philadelphia. And, uh, and you've been in these places where maybe things weren't going that well. You know, the Ravens weren't necessarily some great – a franchise, but they won a Super Bowl during your tenure, if I'm yep. correct, right? Yes. Yeah, so you see it grow, and I guess it's, it's from your perspective, it's fun to see uh, sell the product as it gets better. Well, it's just, I mean, what can I say? It's, it's um, electrifying is the best way to put it. Uh, Stanley, to me, and Reggie are, are, are poster children for uh, effort, and, uh, and Andre is just amazing talent. Tobias is hustle. And it gives us so much to work with and, and to run with. And that wasn't that different than um, the 93 Phillies with Kruk, Dykstra, and Dalton. wasn't that different Bam. for me with, uh, you know, Ray Lewis and Ed Reed and Peter Boulware, you know, charging up that defense. Uh, same thing when Manny entered into the Dodger lineup between Ethier and Kemp. You know, again, these fire plugs uh, really drive the, the, uh, the team energy up. Drives the winning up, drives the fan base up. One of the fun things about Dennis is when we talk in the hallways, when we do bump into each other quite a bit uh, at games, practice facility, he's kind of a seam head, right? You love your baseball. Yeah. And we do spend our time talking about baseball, typically is what we want up talking about. When we do talk to each other, not even a whole lot of pits and stuff. So, anyway, I thought I'd put that aside in there. Well, well after, like, I'll go back because after 20 years of watching over 3,200 games, I'm no longer a baseball fan. <laughs> Wait a minute, you've like ditched it? <laughs> no, but what are, no. your, your take on the Dodgers was amazing. Like I'm a, couple a basketball years, fan. Now. You're a basketball fan now, yeah. you've jumped, you've ditched your baseball roots. But I know growing up in the Philly area, you like your Phillies though, correct? Well, I was a, yeah, I was a, a Pirates guy because I grew up in Pittsburgh, but then the I meant Pittsburgh, my bad. Phillies and, uh, and the first I knew you were a Pennsylvania guy, I forgot. It was uh, Mike Schmidt. 
Yeah. And I'll never forget, here's a guy I really didn't like growing up, and instantly he was one of the <laughs> so it It's funny how your loyalties change yeah. like that, huh? Basically, based on where your paycheck is coming from, huh? where your loyalties are, correct? Well, it's that, and also in the team business, and you look at look at Tom. You know, he bought this franchise, and I know he's from here, and I know he's partial to the area, but he fell into this team with a passion, uh, not just for the area, but for his team. Sure. And that's what happens when you work for a franchise. They're your guys. And um, win, lose, or draw, your allegiance is 100% there. Sure. One last thing before we end this. Oh, I'm going to get you out of here probably 15 minutes. Less than 15 minutes. Perfect. There was one new development from the league, uh, last Board of Governors meeting. They okayed the use uh, or the sale of jersey ads um, in a couple seasons on a three-year pilot program. And that's one of the things that I've actually asked you about, I think, at least a couple years ago. And so it, now it's here. Just give me your thoughts on that, that that's actually here now. I think um, my read on it is it's a beta test to try new things. The league is known for its innovation, and they've done interesting things like put the games on Google you know, on the D-League, and um, they've worked with the apron signage, and, and now this is a, a way to look at a mechanism to advertise and brand a little differently. Now, there's a much bigger play here. Um, that it's, they'll go in steps and see, does this look good? Does it uh, in any way po- uh, negatively or positively affect sure. the league's image? But I don't think it ends with a patch. Um, I would have to think that at some point that patch gets a microchip in it, and that microchip, what it does, whether it tracks the players, whether it's a grommet that you can put your phone onto that patch and get a second screen. Sure. But knowing the NBA, that there's a long-term, there'll be a long-term strategy around the patch. I don't think it will be just a straight-on piece of inventory. Sure, you know, you know, and it's one of those things where you know the purists and people, you know, they are kind of critical of it, you know. Right. But, you know, in Europe, this is kind of like, this is nothing. Um, if you go see, like, European soccer uh, uh, teams and stuff, I mean, the teams are actually the names of the company. You don't even know where the city's lo- what the team's located. Right, he just right. says, that's the name of the team. And uh, even NASCAR, you know, the, basically those cars are basically moving billboards. So, but, you know, every time something, something new comes to one of the four major sports in this country, folks, eh, want to complain about it a little bit new. I, I think... Um the league is doing this as tastefully as possible, and they're looking to attract some of the bigger brand market marketers in the world, not just uh, domestically, and uh, look at it as a, a potential play for activation in China or activation in Japan or activation in Australia. Uh, teams aren't limited by geographical boundaries to go after people to take that patch. So this is a this is this can be very dynamic for the league. Sure, sure. Well, that's it, folks. Thanks to Dennis for joining us, and thanks for listening to the latest edition of Preaching Pistons. Check out the podcast at Freep.com or iTunes. Download Michigan.com's Pistons app, Pistons Extra, that's extra with an X, at the Apple App Store. See you at the Palace.